there's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP doesn't have to. When you sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories. Helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com. Be heard. Be hopeful. Be you. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Convo Show. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and you already know what we do on here. We break down conversation topics around the L.A. Clippers, and there are quite a few to talk about, especially uh, those that have popped up since we last spoke, and that was a week ago. As you guys know, we are rolling on every single Monday right now. Currently, it is Monday the 14th. The Clippers have a game against the Houston Rockets tonight, a team that they have already played and beaten twice. You like seeing the Rockets three times early in the season, especially with the Clippers team that is kind of struggling to stay above 500. But like I mentioned, a lot has gone on since I last hopped on here, and it has to do with a lot of different things. We've had a Kawhi update uh, since we last spoke. Uh, we've had some Paul George resurgence, starting with his Player of the Week honors uh, that were actually handed out uh, on really during the last episode, like right before I recorded. He got those, and he's kind of kept it up, uh, really with the exception of his last game against Brooklyn. Uh, we've had some of our young stars go off in the G League. We're going to get into that with Brandon Boston and Musa Diabate. And the Clippers have really just tried to maintain some decent level of basketball in the absence of Kawhi Leonard. And as you guys know, what we like to do on here, since we're at the moment recording once a week, is recap the games that have happened since we last spoke and preview the games that are going to happen in between this episode and the next episode. So as I mentioned, the Clippers are coming off of a loss to the Brooklyn Nets, but if you go back a couple of games, they got a huge win versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs were, at that time, probably the second hottest team in basketball behind the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they only had one loss at that point. They've scuffled a little bit since that game, but they were on fire at that point. And the Clippers, I mentioned it on the last episode, uh, were entering what really seemed to potentially be a schedule loss against the Cleveland Cavs because they were without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, They were kind of banged up around the edges as well. We weren't sure if Luke and Reggie were going to be able to go. 
Uh, but they fortunately for the Clippers were able to go in that one, but it just looked like for the Clips, it was not going to go well. And the way that game started, it actually seemed as if it was kind of going maybe the way that a lot of people thought it would. Cleveland got out to, I think it was like a 6-0-8-0 lead to begin the game. Ty Lue had an early timeout, but they regrouped. And man, that was one of the best games that I have watched in person. I mean, really since I was a kid, if, I, if I'm just going back to, you know, some of the games that I attended as a kid, the OKC playoff, the Darren Collison game in the, in the OKC series is probably uh, the best game I've ever been to. But just in terms of excitement and high-level quality basketball, this game was absolutely up there. You had Donovan Mitchell and Paul George essentially uh, going shot for shot the first three quarters. And there was a stretch there during the fourth where the Clippers uh, really started to go cold, and it was it was kind of incredible to watch because really for about three and a half quarters, the two teams had matched baskets, and then it was really going to be, okay, who blinks first? And it was the Clippers early in that fourth. Got down 12 with about four or five minutes left to go, and as we were told post game, Paul George rallied the guys together and said there is still plenty of time left in this game. Let's try to go get a win, and they did. They came back from down 12 with about, like I said, four or five minutes to go. And that was still to this point at that point it was, but I would say even still now, certainly the best win of the season for this Clippers group. It was a win they needed. Uh, it was a win that was a confidence booster and really all things considered uh, probably one of the better wins that they're going to get this year because they were down Kawhi. They needed a heroic effort from Paul George. They needed some things to go right down the stretch, including uh, unfortunately for the Cavs, a couple of bad calls that were confirmed by the last two-minute report. But the Clippers will take that, and they got a big win to open that stretch of games, uh, starting with the Cavs. And then they moved on to the Lakers, which I talked about on the last episode. If you would have asked me before the season started, or even after that first game that the Clippers played against the Lakers, where I didn't think they played all that well and were still able to get a win, I would have said, yeah, pretty much any time the Clippers play the Lakers this year, you can put a W in the left-hand column. These Lakers are not good. Even without Kawhi Leonard, we have seen it over the past couple of seasons. The Clippers have had absolutely no issue with the Lakers. But I mentioned it on the last podcast. I said they were playing better at that time. Westbrook had just moved to the bench, and he really, all things considered, was looking like a brand-new player. And the Lakers were looking like a brand-new team. It had resulted in uh, a ton more wins, but they were certainly uh, trending in the right direction after a very poor start. And I had a little bit of a, a concern about the Clippers' ability to contain Westbrook because usually their backcourt is is not exactly uh the, it, it doesn't exactly possess the most defensive prowess. I don't know how to say that without sounding like I'm I'm bashing anybody. I'm not, but it's just one of those situations where that's not exactly the personnel that the Clippers have right now with their backcourt. But I liked what Ty Lue did in that game. Terrence Mann had started the game prior against Cleveland, and Luke Kennard was available for that game. He had been starting. And when I asked Ty before the game why he decided to go with Terrence instead of Luke for that final spot, he said, well, we just found out that Luke was going to be available uh, really not long before tip-off. And he said we had already gone through shoot-around with Terrence uh, expecting to start, so we just stuck with that. He said, uh, and I like Terrence checking one of Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell. And then we move on to the Lakers game. I personally was expecting Terrence to stay in that starting group because uh, he looked fantastic against the Cavs. He really seemed to find some of his confidence. And like I said, that defensive prowess is something that Ty Lue mentioned and something that the Clippers really liked. 
But Tyloo did something that I felt was really smart, and he brought Terrence Mann off the bench. Uh, Luke Kennard got the nod once again in the starting group, and Ty didn't say this explicitly to us pregame, but my thought process was Terrence Mann would be the primary option on Russell Westbrook with that second group, and I think he did a great job on Russ. He didn't guard him every single time down, but Russ was completely ineffective in that game. Really, for the first time since coming off the bench, he looked uh, like the player that had struggled to start the year as a starter. I think a lot of that had to do with the defense of Terrence Mann. So you got to give Ty Lue credit for that, uh, for seeing that it was a, a good opportunity to to move Mann back to the bench, get Luke back in the starting group. And at that time, uh, the Clippers were unbeaten with Luke Kennard in the starting lineup. They won that game against the Lakers, and they continued that stretch of un, unbeaten games with Luke Kennard in that starting group. But unfortunately, against Brooklyn, that streak was snapped because Luke started and they did not get the win. But uh, that game against Brooklyn was one that I, I tweeted it out right after the game. It was a lot more winnable than the final score suggests because it was pretty much neck and neck the entire way. Uh, both teams were really not all that hot uh, from deep, not all that hot uh, from the floor. It was just kind of a, a low-scoring, lethargic, just your your stereotypical afternoon game. And the guys don't like afternoon games. I mean, some of them will be honest about that and tell you. Others will say, you know, it's just basketball. Both teams dealing with the same thing. But you can tell there's just there, there's a level of lethargy just in the locker room, and, and you can see it out there on the floor where guys just aren't exactly themselves out there. And I felt that that was evident for both teams throughout the course of the game. And in my opinion, as that game was kind of developing and I tweeted it out to start the fourth quarter was it was going to come down to which star outplays the other down the stretch because Paul George was not good through three quarters. He was good defensively, very active on that end, uh, but he really didn't have his shot going the same way that he had the past week. Uh, He wasn't exactly getting inside at the same uh, efficient rate that he had been the last week or so. And just all things considered, he didn't look like the same player that just won player of the week. Kevin Durant, uh, on the other hand, who actually he was uh, Eastern Conference player of the week, uh, the same week that Paul George was, he looked like himself. He was playing well out there. And uh, the Clippers were hanging in the game, despite Paul George not looking great and despite Kevin Durant really looking like Kevin Durant. They had that game uh, really hanging in the balance there to start the fourth quarter. Uh, but Paul George still wasn't able to find his shot in the fourth. And it wasn't even Kevin Durant that killed the Clippers. It was Seth Curry in that final frame that really got it going. And we asked Ty Lue after the game what he thought that was a product of. He said, well, you try to take away KD and it's going to give other guys opportunities. And what was frustrating for the Clippers is that uh, they had their opportunities as well, but they just could not buy a shot in that fourth quarter. Big Zoo was the only starter who scored in that fourth and final frame. And it just it got out of hand quickly there for the Clips, and they ended up dropping that one. And it it was a tough loss because, you know, Kyrie wasn't playing. And like I said, the game was really there for the taking uh, down the stretch. It was was a frustrating game. And I do want to talk about this one specifically a little bit more because, you know, I think the two wins uh, versus Cleveland and the Lakers were great. Uh, But in terms of of some key takeaways uh, from that three-game stretch in between the last podcast and, and this podcast, I think that Brooklyn game has has some of the major talking points and, and perhaps some of the concerns uh, that you fans really have raised throughout the course of the season. You kind of saw them on display uh, in a big way in that game. Zoo was a little bit, uh, you know, he, he was a little bit handcuffed by foul trouble uh, in that game, and that's definitely a concern for the Clippers. I think he's done a great job this year staying out 
of foul trouble, but oftentimes he's just kind of at the mercy of how officials want to call the game. Uh, he's one of the best rim protectors in basketball, and oftentimes I think he's vertical. He thinks he's vertical. The Clippers think he's vertical, and yet he still gets hit with a foul. Uh, he had a couple of those, had a couple of offensive fouls as well. So he was in foul trouble, and the Clippers really had no choice but to kind of keep him out there despite that. But you could tell he wasn't his himself out there while he was in foul trouble. There were some possessions where I just don't think he he felt comfortable contesting the same way that he normally would. And then when the Clippers had to go small, it, it just did not look good at all. The Clippers uh, were going up against the front court of Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton. Uh, KD, obviously, you know, it's funny watching KD out there stand next to Claxton. I actually think he's taller uh, than Nick Claxton. That's not something that you're ever going to see listed, but uh, KD's height <laughs> is always one of the biggest mysteries in basketball. That dude is a monster in person uh, and watching him uh, really impose his will defensively in that game was impressive as well because we all know what he can do on the offensive end, but I thought he was a menace defensively. And that's something that Ty Lue brought up in, in the postgame uh, press conference because he had a, a couple of blocks in that game. And, you know, I don't know how many he actually got credit for. I don't have it in front of me, but he definitely altered uh, more shots than, than even he blocked. And it was something that Ty Lue talked about post game because something you saw late in that game, which was confusing to me, something that the Clippers have not had success with at all this year. And something they went to extensively down the stretch in that Brooklyn Nets game was the, the two man group of Reggie Jackson and John wall, that two point guard lineup. Me personally, uh, even before seeing any data, I'm not a fan of that group. I don't think it's the same as when you had Reggie Jackson and Pat Bev starting alongside each other in the playoffs. I thought that was a great pairing uh, just in terms of fit. But with John Wall at this stage uh, in his career, uh, if you try to compare that fit to to what we saw with Bev in, in the 2021 playoffs, it's very different. Uh, Pat Bev, was he was a knockdown three-point shooter at that point, he, he's struggling with his shot really since uh, leaving the Clippers. But that dude was always hovering around 40% from deep, especially on his catch and shoots. He was usually always about a tick above 40% on those shots. You felt real comfortable playing him really at the two. But when you look at Reggie and John Wall, with the way both of those guys are playing right now, specifically with their ability to knock down shots, one of them off the ball, it's just tough. It's really tough to to find cohesion offensively. Um, if one of those guys could find their shot, preferably Reggie, because with John, you kind of know that that's not exactly his game. Um, but with Reggie not providing the same uh, rim pressure and playmaking that John does, you really need him to find his three-point shot. And uh, so far this year, that has not been the case. Reggie is shooting 28.8%. Uh, from deep right now on four attempts a game. He's, he's making just over one three a game right now, and that's just not enough uh, with what the Clippers are currently asking him to do. He's playing 29 minutes a game. That is fourth on the team right behind Zoo. So it's just you're not getting enough from Reggie offensively, in my eyes, to justify those those two point guard lineups. But I asked Ty Lu after the game. I said, Ty, one, what made you go? Uh, to that pairing with Reggie and Wall, and two, what did you see from it? He said, "Well, they were, you know, they had uh, Patty Mills and Seth Curry out there. The Nets did, and he said we wanted to try to exploit that a little bit and find mismatches down low with Zoo because they were switching everything, and that was something that Paul George said kind of threw the Clippers off. They hadn't really faced a, a defense that switches everything, but with Claxton at center, and I'll get into this a little bit. It's it's also why I'm I'm so high on Musa, but with Claxton at center, he's probably." 
at this point, maybe the most switchable big in, in the NBA right now. And in, in, in terms of like centers, obviously Giannis is going to be in that group. But when you're looking at, at pure centers, Claxton is up there in terms of like the most switchable bigs in the NBA. And I think that's what makes him so, so unique and, and really so valuable is that Brooklyn's able to switch everything defensively. But, you know, part of what that leaves the door open to is getting mismatches. And when you're playing two poor, small uh, defensive guards like Seth Curry and Patty Mills, it gives the Clippers an opportunity to try to exploit that. And Ty Lue said they were trying to do that by putting two point guards on the floor and giving them that additional playmaking to try to find those mismatches. And he said he thought they did it all, all right in the uh, third quarter. But he said the fourth quarter, they just didn't execute that properly. And he took responsibility for that. He said, I got to get those guys playing the way we want them to play, uh, specifically that second group uh, and and specifically even more so with those those two point guard lineups. And he said it just didn't exactly happen. So that was one of the main uh, takeaways that I had from that game. And the other, which is something that people have brought up over the last couple of games, was the DNPCD for uh, Robert Covington did not play coach's decision. So Robert Covington is healthy right now. I want to clear that up. Uh, I think there's been some confusion amongst Clippers Twitter if he's still dealing uh, with the effects of COVID uh, because obviously uh, Rocco was in health and safety protocols for a while, was dealing with COVID. But uh, he is fully healthy, fully recovered from what I've heard. It, it fortunately wasn't too bad uh, for Rocco when he was down with COVID. And now he's back. Um, it was interesting before that Lakers win, he spoke at shoot around and said he expected to play quite a bit as an option on LeBron. And then he didn't play at all. So people were like, okay, what's going on? Um, he thought that he was going to play. Now, now he's not going to play. So we asked Ty after the game uh, if Rocco was still just kind of deal with COVID. And he said, no, he said, you know, I talked to him, I told him to stay ready. Uh, but with the way that Terrence Mann is playing right now, um, he's just Rocco's is kind of on the outside of the rotation. And it was interesting because, you know, obviously Terrence has been playing well and you do need to find minutes for him. Uh, but Terrence Mann and Robert Covington are not the same player. They don't really play the same position, although Terrence plays all over the place. You know, he's definitely more of like a combo guard where um, you could play him at the one, you could play him at the two. If you need him to stretch out and kind of be a wing, he can. But Rocco, he's a wing, and, and he's like your four or five. Um, a lot of people thought he might be the backup center this year. And uh, he's really not played a whole lot. He's only averaging 14 minutes in the games that he has played in. Uh, he's only played in seven of the Clippers' 13 games uh, so far. And uh, as of right now, he's on the outside of the rotation looking in. In terms of how I feel about that, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough because it seems like every single time a Clippers player finds themselves outside of the rotation, you know, you got people on Clippers Twitter and even outside of Clippers Twitter saying, oh, this is the odd man out. Like Robert Covington's the odd man out. Terrence Mann is the odd man out. Amir Coffey is the odd man out. You're like, well, this guy can't be the odd man out. This guy has to play. And then when people say that, what it's rarely followed up with is, you know, this guy should be in the rotation instead of, you know, X, Y, or Z player. So I think that's what's tough is when you're looking at the job that Ty Lue has to do and the ways that he has to kind of try to find minutes for everybody. You know, it can be really easy to say, you know, this player needs to be in the rotation. But what people aren't following that up with is he needs to be in the rotation instead of this player. And, and really the only guy who I've kind of seen get that treatment is Reggie. 
And it's tough because, I mean, some of the guys that we're saying need to be in the rotation, they don't play the same position as Reggie. We have Reggie Jackson and John Walls, the team's two-point guards. You know, regardless of how you feel about that, that's just kind of the situation right now. And, and unless some trades happen, that's probably going to be the situation going forward. So if you say, oh, Reggie should be out of the rotation, you know, it just – it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense unless you're running some lineups with like man at the one, like they did last year after they traded Bledsoe or, you know, get, you get Kennard on the ball or you, you go huge with PG, um, you know, at the one, like, of course there's different options there, but now like at that point, what's Reggie on the team for? Like, I think, I think that's, that's tough. You know, that's, that's probably something that the Clippers wouldn't go to unless a move was made and Reggie was shipped out and they didn't get, uh, another point guard back in so that that's kind of tough um so i think with the roco situation you know ty is approaching it the way he should and that's stay ready you know it's there's going to be an opportunity for him i personally think he should have gotten a shot in that brooklyn game at, at trying to slow down kd um i think he would have helped in some of those small ball groups because me personally with Kawhi out right now and i've talked about this on twitter it's tough man it is tough to justify these small groups right now with Kawhi Leonard sidelined. Uh, Ty Lue in the offseason and all throughout training camp, you know, when it kind of became evident that the Clippers weren't going to sign another backup center, uh, he kept saying, you know, we have Kawhi and PG back. I feel a lot more comfortable going small with those two guys on the floor than I did last year when, when Kawhi was out all year and PG was out like 75% of the year. So with, with, with Kawhi out, you look at some of these small groups and they're very small. And, you know, even when you got a guy like Batum out there, who he's unfortunately not playing well to start the year. Um, he doesn't give you much on the glass. Marcus Morris does not give you much on the glass, although he has been much better uh, rebounding lately. Wanted to acknowledge that, but throughout really his Clippers tenure, that hasn't been what he has provided a whole lot of. Uh, so you're looking at some of these small groups and, and, and some of them, you got three small guards and whether it be like John, you know, Luke, Norm, Reggie, John, Norm, Reggie, Luke, Norm. You got three small guards out there and two forwards who don't really rebound and who don't really defend. And that's, you know, of course, if PG's not out there also, it's just tough. It's really tough uh, to justify some of these small groups, and that's where I think Robert Covington could help, and I think he will eventually, but as of right now, uh, he's on the outside looking in, so I wanted to address that because I think it's been one of the more talked-about themes on Clippers Twitter right now but speaking of those themes and, and speaking of those conversation topics as you guys know that's what we do on here we break down conversation topics around the Clippers I want to start I uh, will start I already kind of got into a couple of them but I want to get into the Kawhi update I, I've had one for you guys on every single podcast so far uh, unfortunately uh, I don't think I've recorded an episode uh, since he's he's played I, I think because I started this like three games into the season he was already done at that point um, not a whole lot on the Kawhi front in terms of an update, but, uh, Ty did give us some positive news at practice the other day. So the Kawhi has progressed to playing five on five. Uh, it was about a week or so ago. We were at practice. We asked Ty, you know, how's Kawhi doing, uh, is five or five, five on five, something that's, you know, potentially in his future. And he said, well, he actually played five on five that morning. I uh, said, he looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he went through five on five with, with a group of players and coaches and, you know, we weren't really able to get a whole lot out of that in terms of, you know, what exactly did he do? Like, was he moving at 100%? Was he taking full contact? Like, we didn't really get those details. Um, we ask, and, and usually Ty's is kind of like, you know, I don't really know. I'm just kind of sticking with the protocol. We never really get, like, a clear answer on, on like, specifics 
But it was cool to hear that he's doing five on five and, and kind of from what I've heard, uh, I haven't heard too much, but you know, it, it seems like this is, this is not a, a major setback for Kawhi. Of course, you know, he's missed 10 games in a row. You're like, you know, Joey, that's pretty major. Yeah, of course. Like, you, you know, you want uh, him to be a lot more available than he has so far. But in terms of this being something that, you know, like I talked about on the last podcast, some Clippers fans are probably concerned, like, Joey, is this going to be a last year situation where the Clippers just don't say anything and then he just never shows up? Of course, last year we knew he was going to be out for potentially all the year, but, you know, they never really told us that he was. They kind of let that door open. I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to to something like that. I think he will be back soon. Uh, he, he did travel on this road trip, which is a great sign. Uh, I don't think he's going to play on the road trip, but he actually wasn't medically cleared to travel. Uh, the last time the Clippers went on the road, they just the doctors didn't feel like that was the best thing for him. So the fact that he was allowed to travel on this trip after not being allowed to travel on the last trip, I think is a very positive sign. Uh, like I said, just some of the things that I've heard, it doesn't sound like this is something that's that's super major. Uh, of course, the Clippers are being cautious, and of course, Kawhi wants to be out there, but both parties understand the big picture, and, and they're trying to be smart about that. So uh, the frustration is understandable. Obviously, Clippers fans want to see Kawhi out there. Hopefully, uh, when he does come back, uh, he will be you know, a little bit less restricted um, than he was to start the year. And and by that, I don't necessarily mean minutes, but more so like that whole coming off the bench thing. Uh, we asked Ty about that the other day, and he kind of joked. And we said, you know, Ty, is Kawhi going to be coming off the bench again when he comes back? And Ty kind of laughed. He's like, man, I hope not. He's like, it messes up my rotations. And, of course, he was joking. Like, whatever Kawhi, you know, feels best doing is what the Clippers are going to go by. Uh, but but the whole coming off the bench thing, of course, was not ideal. And the Clippers hope that that once Kawhi comes back, you know, he could get back in the starting group and, and maybe play some more extended stretches. Uh, of course, they'll be smart and, you know, they'll they'll bring him back in, in the appropriate manner. But that's the Kawhi situation for right now. He, he should be back relatively soon. Probably not on this road trip, but he is with the team, which is a great sign. And uh, he's playing five on five, which is a great sign as well. So we do know that about Kawhi um, in terms of some of the other injury situations, this game against Houston, which will tip off by the time this podcast is out, will be about you know two and a half, three hours uh, from the time I wrap this up. They will be without Kawhi and they'll be without John Wall. And the John Wall thing, it, it kind of surprised me because initially I was like, wait, hold up. Why is John out for injury management? It's not a back to back, but it is a back to back. They play. Uh, Dallas on Tuesday. So it, from what I can kind of glean, uh, seems that the Clippers would prefer to have Wall against the stronger opponent, which is the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, let him rest against the Houston Rockets. He hates this. He wants to be playing both games. Uh, I asked Ty the other day. I think I mentioned it on the podcast that I was going to ask him. So I want to give you guys an update on this. As Ty, I said, hey, with the John situation, because he obviously says he feels 100%. You know, he wants to be playing back-to-backs. He wants to be playing more minutes. I said, is it uh, like a matter of games before his minutes restriction is lifted and he can start playing back-to-back? Is, is there some other uh, metric that you guys are looking at that determines when he can get his minutes bumped up and when he can start playing? And Ty Lu said, yeah, you know, I think it's games played. And I asked him, I was like, do you know how many games that is? And he said, no, I'm not really sure right now. And, and whether or not he knew or not, you know, he wasn't going to disclose that. So I can't unfortunately give an update on like when John won't be uh, restricted anymore, but he will be out for this game in Houston. And I assume that means he'll be playing 
uh, in that game against Dallas. And as long as, as nothing uns, uh, unexpected or, or surprising happens in this Houston game, the Clippers should be fully healthy with the exclusion of Kawhi for that Dallas game. And, you know, speaking of John, uh, there there are some some concerns right now amongst the fan base that I've, I've seen voiced, uh, not just about him, but about some of the veterans in general and, and really them kind of not looking so great. Uh, to begin the year, and I don't think John's entirely in that category, um, but unfortunately, his his shot selection and, and his efficiency has is, is not been great uh, to start the year. He's only shooting about 20-something percent from deep. Pull it up right now and get you guys that exact clip. Uh, John Wall right now, only 24% from deep, which is not great, of course, and I think he's really not that much better from the mid-range either, less than 30% from there as well. And uh, a pretty large... Uh, <laughs> large chunk of his shots are coming from either like the mid range or, or the threes kind of shooting a lot more jumpers. than I think people may be expected. He's not making his free throws either like 56 or 57.6% from the stripe. So uh, his offensive efficiency has not been great. That said, I do think when he's out there, uh, the Clippers are are getting a lot easier shots. Um, you saw that in the Lakers game. You saw that in the Cavs game. Uh, when John Wall came in, it just felt as if the Clippers were able to get easier shots. They were able, able to get cleaner looks. Um, Wall himself got inside the paint uh, really nicely in both of those games. So I think with him, and, and I'm going to get into some of the other guys who, who perhaps don't bring as much as he does um, You know, when their shot isn't falling. I think with him, his shot is, is something you'd want to see uh, go down at, at a more efficient rate, especially when he's taking as many as he is right now. I mean, he's taking the exact same amount of threes per game as Luke Kennard. Like, John is taking 3.7 threes a game. Luke is also taking 3.7 threes a game. John is shooting 24% on his threes, and Luke is shooting 48% on his threes. That's a problem, and I'm going to get into Luke needing to shoot more Later in the episode, that's something that I wanted to hit on. That was like one of my key conversation topics for this episode. But I mean, John, if you look at three-point attempts, he is fourth on the team in three-point attempts per game behind PG, Marcus, and Reggie. And, you know, Reggie, that's a whole nother situation. You don't exactly want him taking four a game either right now at 28%. So uh, with him, I wanted to start with him because I don't think he's in like the same category as maybe like the Reggies or the Batums or, you know, uh, even norm to an extent where it's like these guys are struggling. And you're like, okay, when this guy isn't making shots, he's not really giving us a whole lot of of other, you know, contributing in other areas. Um, John, I don't think that's the case. I think he he his rim pressure is always going to be valuable. His his play and transition is always going to be valuable. But if he's going to continue to take uh, almost four threes a game, he's going to have to start making them at, at a, a higher clip. And it, the same goes for his mid range. And unfortunately, the same goes for his free throws as well. If he's going to be getting in the paint and, you know, attacking defense, getting downhill, drawing fouls, you want to see him to make his free throws at, at a little bit more efficient clip. Um, love John Wall. Think he's been solid for the Clippers. I, I think that, uh, you know, some of these things could potentially sort themselves out. Uh, but something to keep an eye on there just with his his inefficiency, specifically with the jump shot. Uh, moving on to some of the other players that I, I kind of highlighted a bit there. I just kind of grouped them into this, you know, veteran category, put my fingers in quotes. Uh, where you have these guys that, you know, the Clippers have built their roster uh, around some older players, and that's fine. You know, when you're a championship team trying to win now, that's not 
exactly a problem. Um, but you always do kind of have that concern, like, you know, when is this guy going to run out of gas or, or when is this guy, you know, not going to be the same player anymore that he has been the last, you know, two, three years. Um, I don't think any of the Clippers players are at that point yet. I don't even think that's something that you could say or even insinuate uh, 13 games into the season. But as of right now, they unfortunately have not gotten the level of production that they were hoping and perhaps expecting from guys like Reggie, uh, guys like Nico. Um, Norm's not in the same category. I think he started to turn around. He's also much younger. So I don't really want to group him in with those guys. Marcus has been great, so he doesn't really belong in that category. Um, Rocco hasn't really been playing a whole lot, so, so can't really group him in with those guys. I think it's primarily just like Nico and Reggie, two guys that, you know, two years ago when you made the Western Conference Finals were massive reasons why you made the Western Conference Finals and were rightfully rewarded with contract extensions after that year. Um, and now, you know, so far to start the year aren't exactly giving you the level of production that you hope for. For for Nico, I mean, he has really kind of a uh, simple job. The Clippers want him to knock down open threes. They want him to be a connector out there offensively. Um, and they want him to be versatile defensively. Those are three things that he has done at, in my opinion, an elite level since coming to the Clippers. Uh, but so far to start the year, uh, that hasn't been the case. He's, he's knocking down only 36, 35.7% of his shots from the field and an even 30% of his shots from downtown. And that's tough, especially if he's going to be, you know, one of the anchors of the second unit with that small group. Oftentimes you're going to need him to be a little bit better than that. I mean, like I said, just naturally, he's not the type of player who's going to, you know, really dominate on the glass. So it's tough for him to, to be out there as oftentimes like the biggest guy on, on the, on the Clippers uh, that they have out there on the floor. Um, but I don't I don't think he's going to continue shooting 30% from downtown. I mean, I see him every single morning at practice working on his catch and shoot threes. It's it's not something that I think is just going to completely disappear for him. Uh, whether or not he gets back to like, let me pull up the numbers, but I think he was actually over 40% uh, his first two years with the Clippers, or at least, you know, around 40% from downtown. Yeah, he was right at 40% the last two years, 40.4 in 2021 and 40 on the dot last year and now he has dropped off 10% from downtown that's uh that's tough you know it's tough for the clippers to to overcome i talked about it on the last episode uh, how they're getting a lot of the same shots that they got last year they're just not going in i think nico is is right in that category so i think he's due for um you know some regression to the mean or progression to the mean i guess would be uh the more accurate term there since he he hasn't really been doing uh, what you expect him to do so for for nico I wouldn't worry about him a whole lot. Uh, obviously, he's getting up there in age. I mean, he was already on the older side when the Clippers signed him a few years ago, and now three years into his tenure with the Clips, uh, you know, not getting any younger. But you know, what what they're asking him to do offensively, I don't think is anything that's out of his capability right now. He's just not exactly uh, knocking down the shots that you'd expect him to knock down. So that that's been hard for the Clippers to overcome. But you know, definitely not out on Nico. I I think that he still is a very high IQ player. Um, you know, still has the ability to to help be a connector off, off offensively and, and hopefully start knocking down some of these shots. Uh, moving on to Reggie. That's, that's a bigger conversation because he has a much bigger role uh, than Nicholas Batum and, and really more than almost everybody on the team. Like I said, he's fourth on the team in minutes. Um, you know, he he's just been who he's been throughout his time with the Clippers uh, really outside of when he first came over in that like bubble year. Uh, he's been like the baller is in his hands and, and he's the point guard. So uh, his his struggles to start the year are, are a little bit harder 
to overcome than a guy like Batum or even a guy like Norm or, you know, some of the other guys who haven't exactly gotten it going uh, the way that you would hope they would. Reggie's uh, struggles are, are a lot more difficult to overcome just because of the level of responsibility that he has offensively and just the style of player that he is. Uh, there was a lot of talk coming into the year about sacrifice, right? Like that was really like a, a big theme for the Clippers coming into this season was, you know, guys are going to have to sacrifice shots. Uh, you know, guys are going to have to sacrifice play style. There's just going to be a, a lot of a sacrifice. And Reggie has, he, he's taken less shots this year. I mean, last year uh, he was 16.3 field goal attempts per game. This year he's just under 10. So he's taking about six less shots uh, per game. But the the shot selection is is unfortunately not exactly what you'd want to see uh, from him. I think coming into the year, you know, even Reggie himself uh, had mentioned this, but you know, Ty fans, uh, other players on the team, I think their expectation was, you know, Reggie's going to get back to catch and shoot, Reggie. Like he's going to get back to catch and shoot, Reggie. Um, you know, with some opportunistic playmaking opportunity opportunities, opportunistic, uh, you know driving lanes, things of that nature. Uh, but, but in terms of like the primary, you know, the, where the most of his looks are going to come from, they're going to be on the catch and shoot. And to start the year, you know, he hasn't really abandoned some of those like ISO, you know, kind of like getting my bag type possessions that uh, we, we probably hope that he maybe wouldn't do as much uh, this year. And, and, you know, to an extent that's who he is, you know, asking a player, you know, at age 32, to change entirely who they've been really their whole career and who he was forced to be the last two and a half, well, a year and a half uh, with the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard sidelined, you know, it's tough. So through 13 games, you don't love the shot selection that you've seen from Reggie. He's only making 39% of his field goals, uh, only making 28% of his shots from deep. And it's crazy because people talk about, you know, that 2021 playoff run just being incredible. And it was like, it was, it was amazing. And you don't expect him to sustain that a level of production, but you look at what he did in just the 2021 season, which was a 67 game sample size. Wasn't just the 2019, 20 game sample size that you saw in the playoffs. It was a 67 game sample size where Reggie Jackson shot 45% from the field and 43% from downtown. It was just, it was incredible what he was giving you offensively throughout the whole course of the season. And he was a complete positive on the floor. Um, so you haven't seen that so far this year, but I do want to mention one thing that I think is important to remember with Reggie is that he plays really well alongside Kawhi Leonard. And I think when he is under control and he is, you know, picking his spots well, and he's knocking down his open threes. And that's a whole other thing, too. Like, even if Reggie were just shooting at the clip that, you know, he's capable of, he's really shot throughout his career, we'd be having a different discussion right now. But I think when he gets alongside Kawhi Leonard, he calms down a little bit. He doesn't think that he needs to go be the guy. Uh, he doesn't think that he needs to bail the team out offensively as much. So before we, you know, give up on Reggie and think that, you know, it's time to move on, I would like to see him get some more extended run in that starting group next to Kawhi Leonard. I understand some of those who want, you know, John Wall to start. Um, and I, I could see the argument for that, but I think right now it's just not time for that because you haven't even got Kawhi back. You've had two games with Kawhi Leonard. I think the Clippers would like to at least see that group of Reggie, PG, Kawhi, Marcus, and Zoo. 
Like you would at least want to see that group for 10 games before bailing on Reggie and, and saying he needs to go. Um, listen, I understand why fans are frustrated with him. You know, the, the shot selection has, has been poor. Of course, the defense, you don't really expect a whole lot from him on that end. But but before we, you know, make any major changes to the lineup or, or to the roster for that matter, um, I think, you know, you got you to gotta wait until Kawhi gets back and kind of see what you have there. Because um, that's when we've seen the best Reggie uh, is is next to Kawhi. And he just kept that rolling in the 2021 playoffs, even when he went down. He was just on an absolute heater. So I wanted to acknowledge the Reggie situation because I think it's it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. And I think a big reason why the Clippers are currently sitting just one game over 500 is because he hasn't exactly been great uh, with, the, with the role that he has especially. But give the dude some time. Uh, let him get back with Kawhi Leonard. And then if it's still a poor fit and he still just can't find himself, you know, Ty Lue will do what needs to be done. Uh, but also think it's important to remember that moving Reggie to the bench, you know, that I'm not exactly sure that fixes uh, all the problems that, that you know, you want to have fixed with him. So uh, I would say just, just chill on Reg for a little bit while the Clippers work through some of this. I see the same things that you guys see, uh, but until they get Kawhi back, I, I just don't think any real major change. And it's frustrating because you'd like to see some changes be made and, and you know, some lineup alterations uh, be put into place. But this team was was constructed uh, with the expectation that Kawhi Leonard was certainly going to play more than just two of the team's first 12, 13 games. So uh, give him give him a little bit of time, uh, Kawhi that is, to get back and then the rest of the guys to kind of adjust to that. So those are the the role player uh, concerns that have been raised. I think kind of hit on a wall a little bit. Nico a little bit. Of course, Rocco being out of the rotation. And then Reggie, which is probably the biggest one. Uh, to look at, but I think what that too brings uh, uh, kind of to light perhaps is is the potential need for some reinforcements, right? Like if this guy's not getting the job done, you know, can we go to some more Amir Coffee? You know, can we go to, uh, if, if the small ball is struggling, can we throw Moses in there? Uh, Brandon Boston, balling in the G League. Musa, balling in the G League. And I wanted to address that just briefly because we're already getting about 40 minutes on this pod. I don't want to go really much beyond like 45. Kind of want to, you know, keep it around that range. Um, but I think that that's something that needs to be addressed as well because I understand people within the fan base thinking the Clippers should, you know, kind of explore some of these internal options. I think the only one as of right now, maybe the only two that make sense uh, would be giving Amir a little bit more run. Like if, let's say, you know, Reggie's really struggling um, or Norm is like really struggling. Uh, and it's tough because those are your vets. Those are your, really supposed to be like your, what, three, four, fifth options potentially. So it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, but I think Amir is a guy who, while he hasn't shot the ball well in his brief minutes this year, uh, he's just going to give you a lot more defensively. He's going to give you rim pressure, um, and he's kind of just going to be solid out there. He's not going to make the same mistakes that some of these other guys are making. So I think maybe giving him a little bit more uh, of an opportunity would make sense. And then the other one is potentially giving Musa a look. I've talked about this already on the podcast, and I previewed it a little bit when I talked about Claxton. Um, but I'm a lot higher on Musa than I am on Moses. And I think when you saw Moses come in and, and really impact that Houston game, and perhaps he gets another chance tonight, uh, you saw really how much the Clippers could benefit from simply having another 
you know, six, 11, seven foot guy out there on the floor. Uh, Moses is, you know, and credit to dude, he stayed ready. Uh, he came in and, and he really contributed in that game. But there's a reason why he hasn't played since. You know, the Clippers do not feel comfortable having him out there on a regular basis. You saw the minute he came into the game, uh, Houston was putting him in every single pick and roll trying to attack him defensively. They just didn't execute it properly. So if you're, if you're relying on Moses against some of these you know more sophisticated teams, it's going to be tougher. That's where I think uh, Musa could really help because he's switchable. Um, it, he can really switch on to anybody, and I think that's something that you can't teach. I think he has really high IQ in the short roll, which is something that I think could help with, with some of these groups that have so many shooters out there. On the floor, he's athletic. He can run the floor. So I think in terms of like immediate ability to help, Musa is is definitely in that category, whereas Moses and, and some of these other guys aren't. But I understand why the Clippers just want to keep him developing. They don't want to keep him in a stay-ready role on the bench when they could have him playing you know, 30 minutes a night in the G League. So that's that situation. The other one is Brandon Boston. He had an amazing night in the G League the other day. He had 37. And you know, you of course, going to have fans saying, uh, you know, Brandon Boston needs to play. Like we got Reggie out here, you know, shooting tour dates. Like why can't Brandon get an opportunity? And I just don't think it's time for that right now. I, you're seeing what's happening with Golden State uh, where they are trying to put either rookies or second year players in these prominent roles in the rotation on a defending champion team, a, a contender, a championship hopeful. And it hasn't gone well. It takes time for these young kids to figure out how to play team basketball, how to play winning basketball. And I'm not saying Brandon Boston can't be that player, but if you're wanting him to take minutes from guys like Luke or Terrence or, um, you know, because he's not a point guard, so you can't even really say he's going to take minutes from Reggie. That doesn't really make sense. I just don't think that it's time for that yet. I think Brandon Boston Jr.'s time is coming. Uh, I understand fans who don't want to see him just continue to dominate the G League and not get a shot but I just don't think there's there's a place for him right now uh, in the rotation. And I want to also mention this briefly because I, I talked about it a little bit ago, and then I'm going to wrap things up. Um, I don't need to go too deep on this, but uh, I mentioned about midway through the pod that John Wall and Luke Kennard were, were uh, tied in terms of three-point attempts, both taking 3.7 a game. That needs to change. Um, It's not, and listen, I watch every single game up close. This is not a situation where Luke is being gun shy and not, you know, pulling the trigger when he has open looks. That is not the issue with this dude anymore. Anybody who says that's really not watching. Like, you know, maybe are there one or two here or there where he doesn't, you know, pull pull the trigger when he should? Okay, yeah, perhaps. But uh, he's hunting shots this year. I mean, last year, last couple of years, if he missed one or two in a row, you weren't going to see him come down and pull the trigger next time. He, I mean, he has the shortest memory right now where he misses a shot, next one's still going up regardless. But he's getting face guarded out there. He is getting held off the ball. I don't think the Clippers are putting him in motion enough. The dude is shooting 48% from deep. Since coming to the Clippers, he leads the entire world in three-point shooting. So you got to find a way to get him more involved, whether that's putting him on the ball, putting him in more actions, putting him in more motion, uh, using him as a decoy even. You got to try to utilize, I mean, really the most – efficient shooter in the world. Of course, he's not better than Steph in terms of the shot volume and the shot difficulty, but since coming to the Clippers, the dude's been the most accurate three-point shooter in the world, so you got to get him more involved. Those are really the main talking points that I wanted to break down. You know, we talked about some of the role-player concerns. We got a Kawhi update in there. You know, Roko outside looking in. 
uh, you know, Brandon and Musa, you know, kind of those those G League guys on the outside looking in, and then Kennard needing to shoot more. Those were like some of the main things I wanted to talk about. So I hope those are some of the main things you guys were looking for as well. As always, uh, if there's anything else you guys want me to break down, anything specific you want to hear my thoughts on, shoot me a DM, whether on Twitter or on Instagram, and I'll, I'll definitely uh, include that on the pod. I'm honestly kind of considering maybe just sending a tweet out, you know, before I record next time, asking what some of you guys want to hear. Cause really I do this for you guys. Like I want to, I want to break down what you guys want to hear. Um, you know, of course, from my perspective. So I appreciate you guys tapping in. I ran a little bit longer on this one than I normally would, but there was a lot to break down uh, in between the last pod and this pod. It is always uh, a blast for me to hop on and, and break down Clippers basketball uh, with you guys. And I'll be back next Monday because we're, currently running on that uh, every Monday schedule and it's been fun so far. So you guys enjoy this upcoming week of games. We got four in between now and the next episode, hoping to come back uh, to a four and O stretch. That would certainly be ideal. So until next time, you guys, as always much love and go Clippers. The South Dakota stories, volume seven, my trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP doesn't have to. When you sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories, helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com. Be heard. Be hopeful. Be you.